Look, they're just 14 years apart. And at four years old, Taylor began to ask me while we were driving in the car one day about Jesus. And as I began to explain to her about Jesus, she wondered if he might be able to save her too. And so I pulled the car over and Taylor Jewel prayed and asked Jesus into her heart to forgive her from her sin. And she decided at four years old that she was going to live for Jesus. So I take you back to this conversation at, I don't know what age, now we're at 16, maybe 17 years old. And I'm going to unpause the story and I'm going to say, Taylor, I said to her, your decisions are not pleasing to the Lord. And she said to me, Mom, I'm not serving the Lord. And I wish that I could convey to you with words how many things I felt in that moment. But let me try to break it down like this. I was devastated. That's the first feeling I felt was devastation. Because as a full-time minister of the gospel and as someone who served the Lord my whole life, I've tried to. The most important thing to me is that my children know and serve Jesus. I want to know that the life the Lord graciously granted me to bring into this world is going to be with me in the next one. Amen. And I was devastated because I knew if her life was required of her at that moment, she would not be in eternity with Jesus. But at the same time, something welled up within me. And it's Holy Spirit. And this is what he said. He said, don't worry. Now we know how to pray. Don't worry. The enemy just told on himself. And so I looked at my daughter and I said to her, the only thing I knew to say was, Taylor, I'm going to pray for you. And she said, I, I knew that you would. And she just sort of traced back off to life while I was standing there trying to figure out how to digest what had just occurred. So I went to her dad and we shared and we talked and we prayed. And I realized that I was ill-equipped for this job. And I didn't know what to do and I didn't have anybody to turn to. I just sort of began to pray, Lord, your word says that your Holy Spirit is the best teacher. I really need that right now. Can you teach me how to pray? Because I don't, I don't know how. Amen. And here's what he did. He began to show me things in his word that I never, I know, although I know I've read them before, I never read them before. And things started to come out. And then I immediately was invited to call in to a prayer call, a prayer conference call that I'd never called in before. And the first time I called, it was like the second or the third week of January. And this call is led by Pastor Corey Jones from Fort Worth at Crossroads Tabernacle Church of the Nazarene. And I, I called into this Monday morning call and I convinced myself, since I'd never done this before, I would just put my phone on mute and I would just listen. And as this pastor came on, he shared his heart that Jesus had put on his heart for this year, for the new year, this point in January, the pray, prayerful intercession for the return of prodigals. Amen. Amen. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm not quite sure what a prodigal is. But I didn't ask that question because I was on mute, remember? But here's what happened. Corey said, the prodigal 
is just like the story in Luke of the prodigal son that Jesus told in the parable where he went to his father. You know the story. He asked for his inheritance. He took his money. He broke his daddy's heart. He went and squandered it on loose living, on wild living. And that famine came to the land that he was in, and he had no money, and he had no food, and he had to, as a citizen, take a job of this foreign country. And the job that he got was feeding pots to the pigs. And the prodigal son was so hungry. He was so morally destitute. He was so broken and empty that the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked so appetizing to him. I've never been that broken. I've never been that hungry. But here's what happened. The word says, and he came to his senses. And he said, even the slaves, even the hired hands, even the servants in my father's house eat better than this. I will go home to my father and I will beg his forgiveness and ask him if I can be but a servant in his household. That's good. And so the prodigal son <coughs> left the pig pen and went on the journey toward home. And from far off, the father saw him coming. Now he had time to sort of let his heart mellow and he could have been so angry and bitter but the father he had already made up his mind when he got his arms around his boy that there was no harsh feelings there was love and forgiveness and welcoming in his arms and when the boy came he said father forgive me for I have sinned may I be a servant in your house and the father said bring me the robe Bring me the ring, bring me the shoes. And he restored his son to his rightful place as heir, as heir. And they threw his party and they threw his celebration. That's the story of the prodigal. And Pastor Corey said, in our lives, we have children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters and grandfathers and grandmothers and mothers and fathers and friends that once knew the Lord, but have been stolen away and chose to leave that relationship with Jesus and live outside of their faith. And I realized, now I knew what a prodigal was, and now I knew why I was on the prayer call, because I had one. That's right. I had a prodigal. And this man on the prayer call said, we're going to all call out the names of our prodigals, and we're going to agree with each other. And so I heard a man called David in Ohio who was in this church two weeks ago, cry out for his son, Micah. And I heard a, another woman in Ohio named Tammy cry out for her son, Michael. I heard a, a woman in Fort Worth, Texas, cry out for Josie and Troy Jr. And I heard another woman called Roselle and begin to cry out for all these prodigals. And I unmuted my phone and I said, I'm Melissa. And I want to pray for my daughter, Taylor, who's a prodigal. And this girl, Rose Ellen, began to cry out for my daughter. And when I heard someone else agree with my prayers for my child, and she lifted her name, something so deep welled up within me that I would not stop this thing called intercession. Whatever Amen. it was, I didn't understand it until my child was home. And in the Praise arms of Jesus, we're going to stop this. Because I had prayer support. I had a plan. And Jesus dropped it right in my lap on a Monday morning in a prayer call. And there was somebody else on that prayer call. And I didn't know who these people were. They were just faceless voices. 
but it was your pastor. And that's how I met your pastor, because I heard a voice <coughs> crying out, agreeing in prayer. Not just prodigals, but things we prayed for every week. And I couldn't wait till Monday morning. Every week I called in and I was with my people. I didn't know who they were and I didn't know where they were from and I didn't know what they looked like, but they were praying for my kid and I was praying for theirs. Amen. And then something else came along because the Lord is so faithful to complete the work that he starts in us. He got me more information. And then I was invited to do another prayer call on Tuesdays and Thursdays with this crazy evangelist named Dan Bohai. <laughs> I knew Dan at that point and I already was in I was all in I was completely I agreed I wanted what he had and so if he was going to teach and pray I was going to be on that call and so I called in and one of the very first teachings he taught about was Job from the book of Job who was asked toward the end by the Lord to intercede for his three wicked friends that had sort of badmouthed him in his worst dying moments and Job became an intercessor for his wicked friends, which was the only thing the Lord said that would save them. And Dan began to explain what an intercessor was. He said an intercessor is someone who stands in the gap for someone else or for something else. You see, there are so many people who cannot pray for themselves, who will not pray for themselves, who even if they prayed a prayer wouldn't be heard because they're not even in relationship with the Lord. Right. And the intercessor's job is to go into that place and stand in the gap. Here's the best explanation I've ever heard, and it came from Craig Wesley Wrench. He said, it's like here is God, and here is the lost people. Here is the intercessor. And before God does anything, smites, judges, does anything to these people there's somebody standing right there saying wait a second Lord don't see them see me, Amen. hear me, I'm standing Amen. in the gap, I'm coming yeah. between you and them because Lord no one else will fill in this gap, so here I am see me, that's an intercessor yeah. Yeah. and I read a verse and it blew my mind, so if you have your word tonight I want you to turn, but if you don't don't worry about it because I'll read it, in Ezekiel 22 this is the verse, Ezekiel 22:30, that I heard. And it said, <clears throat> Ezekiel 22:30, And I searched for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. And I was wrecked by that verse because I realized that there was a time in the creation of this world where God's chosen people were about to be destroyed. The land was going to be stripped from them. They were going to be carted off into exile. And there was one hope left, and that was the Lord could find someone to stand in the gap. But the word says he found no one. Wow. And I was so broken for that verse because I realized, what if right now... God has a plan he wants to accomplish, and there's no one who's willing to agree with his heart and pray it out. Come on. And I said, Lord, I don't know what this intercession means yet. I'm so new at this, but if you'll help me and you'll teach me, I'll pray. I don't yeah, care what it's about. On. I'll pray. I'll Amen. stand in the gap. I'll do it. Amen. 
And so I began to see what a gap stander looks like. And the Lord did something else for us. He brought us to another revival that Dan Bohai was doing, and he had this crazy sidekick, Craig Wrench, who would teach classes on intercession. And so we went to like an all-day class on intercession, and Craig just sort of filled us full of all this wonderful knowledge on how to stand in the gap, and he recommended books, and I went and read the books. You know, all this time I was sort of saying, Lord, will you just raise up an intercessor for my daughter? Raise up an intercessor. And he said, I have. And I was like, glory to God. Who is it? He said, it's you. <laughs> it's you. And I said, okay. Okay, so he's teaching. He's imparting all this wisdom. And people are agreeing with us. And Craig even began to agree with us for Taylor. He has a list called... Craigslist. Isn't that awesome? I like the name, but I don't like that he has to have this list. It's, the, it's a list of over 300 prodigals from pastors and evangelists and worship leaders' children who have walked away from the Lord. He's agreeing with prayer for over 300 families that their child or their grandchild will return to the Lord. Wow. And he prays because he's an intercessor. And through him, and through the word, and through Dan, and through Corey, and through all of these incredible resources, I began to see what it looked like to be an intercessor. But although I could hear all this wisdom that the Lord used through these men to bring me, his word was still the best educator I ever had. And I could see page after page of godly intercessors like Abraham, and Moses, and Daniel. There's so many. And I thank the Lord for his kindness to show me in his word that he means for us to stand in the gap. Amen. Yeah. And so as I really begin to press in, I want to tell you what changed. Because something just totally began to change in our home. And it was me. You see, in all this time in ministry, I had let things build up. I had things that needed to be torn down and removed, and I didn't know they were there. But when I began to press in in real intercession and real prayer, God began to change me because I wasn't good for him, and I wasn't helping anybody until I really changed. Wow. And so pride had to be kind of ripped out of me, and I had to die to myself. And I began to see what that looked like, and it hurt, but you know what? When I really got over the pain and the uncomfortableness and I, I realized I had to get over myself, I started seeing some things like I'd never seen before. Like that verse that talks about seeing dimly, but yet one time soon we'll see clearly. It was almost as if that dim veil was lifted off my heart and my mind, and I began to see that I was so worried about me, self, what it looked like, my family, our ministry reputation, that I didn't really get dead. And he really needed me dead and out of the way so he could use me to intercede for not just my kid, but for other things. And so here's what I learned. This, the, amongst many things, this is a truth I want to impart right now. And this was a shocker for me. Okay? But here's what it is. The Lord is sovereign. He is the creator God. He is holy. And there are things in his will that will be accomplished according to his hand because he is sovereign God. 
But there are things, there are desires in the Lord's heart that will not come about unless someone agrees with him and prays them into being. How do I know? It says so in his word. It was not his intention that Israel be taken and carted off into, into Babylon, into Egypt, into all these pieces that, quite frankly, has never been completely restored since the moment of disobedience. You see, that wasn't his plan for his people. That's right. Actually, if we want to go back even further, when he created Adam and Eve in the world, it wasn't his plan for his people that they separate themselves with sin, but they did. And so there are desires on the Lord's heart that go unfulfilled according to a couple things. One, free will. He won't violate it. He created it. He won't violate it. And two, if someone will stand in the gap and agree with him, if we just partner with him, he honors that partnership. Amen. I don't know why, but I know that he did create it that way and he honors it. Come on. So that's a deep truth. I know that. But once I began to sort of agree with that, some other things began to change. And here's what they were. My daughter started softening. Now, she had been traveling with us. She was attending church um, with my parents, but she wasn't in ministry, and she surely was not serving the Lord, and she was very open about that. Um, But she slowly began to soften. And we began to do some other things along with the intercession. Like we got to go to prayer awakening in October one year and meet Pastor Corey Jones face to face. We also got to meet all of these names and voices that I had heard crying out. And they all had faces. And it was incredible to meet all the people that we've been praying for all those months. Praying with all those months. And one of the nights... At this awakening, this prayer conference, Pastor Corey unveils this portrait, this massive portrait of a prodigal. And he says, now I want you, if you have a prodigal in this place, to come and write their name on this portrait. And we're going to agree with you at Crossroads Tabernacle every day. We're going to pray over these names. We're going to agree with you for the return of your prodigal. And I nearly ran to write my child's name on that portrait right by the head. I wrote Taylor Jewel Wright. And I was convinced with all of this intercession and all of this agreement and everything the Lord was doing, I was convinced because something shifted in me and shifted in my atmosphere at that prayer conference over intercession and over my child. Amen. And that night we had a service where Pastor Corey asked over a thousand people in that place for anybody who had a prodigal and wanted to come forward and pray to come forward. And by the time, by the time we had gotten to prayer, I was so messed up. I was so wrecked. I was so broken. I was so sure because the atmosphere had shifted that something amazing was going to happen. All I could do was weep. I sat in the balcony and I just cried and I cried and I couldn't even see because I was crying so hard. And my husband who never misses a beat, picked me up. He picked, he put me in the aisle and he literally drug me down the stairs to the altar and he put me there. Yes. All of these people who've been praying with me for months 
And I've been praying with them surrounded us. And my family was so covered and agreed. And we agreed with them. And we just wept and prayed and trusted that every prodigal in that place that was represented. And I don't think there was anybody left in their seats. The whole place had come forward. I mean, literally the altars could hold over a thousand people because they did. And we just prayed and we agreed for our prodigals. Amen. That was in October. And then at that prayer awakening or after sometime, I can't even remember. Oh, I think it was before. Craig Wrench said, I want us to have an all-day intercession interceding in the courts of heaven for Taylor. And we said, okay. And literally, Dan came off the road for like two days so that Jay and Craig, part of his team, could join Terry and I in a 12-hour, turned out to be 12-hour, all-day intercession for Taylor. And we prayed and we touched heaven. Amen. And it was the most incredible thing. We went home that night, and it was, it was, uh, we started at 7, we went till 7, and we got home, we crawled into bed, we were just wiped out. It was, it was wonderful, it was a good feeling, we were tired. At about 10.30, we heard a knock on our door, and in come Taylor, and this was on November 1st, and in, she stood at the foot of our bed, and she was just sobbing, and life was really beating up on her. Her grades in college were not going well. Um, her finances were in disarray. She was having work trouble and relationship trouble and friend trouble. And to top it off, somebody had stolen her laptop. And she was really, really broken. And Terry, who doesn't miss a beat, <laughs> crawled out of bed and he did this in our bed. Now, have to tell you that all through the time that the kids have been born and raised, our bed is always open, our room is always open for the kids to come in and we laugh and we talk. And if they need to talk about something serious, we lay in bed and talk about something serious. If they need to pray, we lay in bed and pray. We laugh, we joke, we wrestle. We've always had fun. But Taylor hadn't been in our room in years. And she hadn't opened herself up to us like that. And so when Terry did this, it was an invitation for her to open herself up to us. And she crawled in bed next to me. And Terry sat at the foot of the bed and he just rubbed her legs. And she just wept and she began to spew out all of the lies that the enemy had been speaking to her that she'd been in agreement with for years. All the things, all of the unworthiness that she felt. She said, I'm, I'm stupid. I'm broke. I'm not worthy of a relationship. And more things that I could ever imagine my child had been holding in her heart because the enemy had come up with the lies. She just agreed with them because there was no Jesus in her to stop it. She just agreed with them and agreed with them. And I didn't know what to say because Holy Spirit had been very specific. Since the moment she had told me she wasn't serving God, I never preached at her. In fact, if we said anything about church or testified to good services that we were having, she would leave the room because she would not receive that. And I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do because here she is now pouring her heart out. And I could hear the enemy's lies in everything she spoke. And I thought, you, you nasty devil. You're stealing my fruit. You're stealing this child. 
And I, I said, Lord, I don't know what to say. And Holy Spirit came with these words that one by one he began to counteract each lie that came out of her mouth in such a beautiful way. Yeah, he used my mouth, but trust me, it wasn't me. It was all him. That's right. And I began to tell her how worthy she was, that the King of kings and Lord of lords would leave his throne on high and come and be sacrificed Amen. for her. And while he hung on that tree, it was her face he saw. It was her name that was in his heart while he hung on that tree. And one by one, I came after those lies in the name of Jesus. And she received them. She crawled out of bed. She said she loved us. She went down to her own bed. That was on November 1st. We kept living life and we kept praying prayers and we kept interceding and we kept praising God for what was coming. And I will never forget this day. On a Saturday morning, it was November 19th, so it was 18 days later. Terry was at the kitchen bar on a Saturday morning in his word, and I was at the table in my word, and the house was quiet. And up from the stairs, I hear stomping, and I know here she comes, and she's in a mood because I can hear it coming up the stairs. And I know this kid well. And I know that we're about to hear something that we don't want to hear. And she sort of plopped down. And she was not just sweet and soft and loving. She was just nasty. She was mean. And she was saying, well, this isn't going good. And complaining. And it was just, it was not, it was not a good experience. And I thought, here we go, Jesus. And in that moment, the Lord said to me, now, now. And I said, now what, Jesus? He said, preach now, preach. And I was like, the term be ready in season and out of season totally applied in this moment. And I looked at my child and I was excited because I could preach. I was, it was like, I've been held back for a long time. So I was ready to go. And I said, Taylor, wouldn't you love to have a savior who's got your back, who's helping you through all of this money trouble and all of this work business and all these relationships? Everything around you is crashing. But see, there's one thing in your life that's constant, and he's still wooing you. He's still calling to you. Would you like to have a helper in the Lord Jesus Christ? And she looked at me, and she said, yes. And Terry jumped off the bar stool like I've never seen him move before. And he ran down the hall and he pulled our son out of bed. And poor Brett was woke up on a Saturday morning in total confusion. And next thing I knew, here they came down the hall throwing their hands on the back of this child while Taylor began to pray. And I said, Taylor, it's you that walked away from the Lord willfully of your own volition. It's you that have to come back. It's you that have to repent. It's you that have to recommit. Mom can't pray these prayers for you. I can't help you. This is all you. And she began to cry out with words that were more beautiful to my ears than any words I've ever heard before. Jesus, forgive me. Lord. And as she began to repent, we wept and we prayed our child right back into relationship with Jesus Christ. And it was the most incredible and rewarding moment for our family because our prodigal came home and we restored her with the robe and the shoes and the ring and we didn't judge her and we weren't nasty to her on the contrary we began to tell her all the things that we've been doing to win her back because we wanted her back so bad 
and I told her about the prayer call, and I told her about the other prodigal's names, and I told her about the portrait, and her dad showed her the pictures of us signing her name. And she took it all in. And she said, Mom, will you tell me the story of the prodigal? And so I opened the Bible to Luke, and I read it to her. She sat there, and she just wept because she knew. Her heart knew that that was her. She had a name, and now she was restored. And the first thing she asked was, could she have the name of some of those other prodigals because she thinks that she'd like to pray for them to come back to. And she asked. In fact, she's got to meet those prodigals. And... She said in that moment, I think I would like to write my own name on a portrait. I think I would like to do that. And so I called Corey Jones and I told Corey what had happened. And the rejoicing began all over the kingdom. The rejoicing began because the prodigal had come home. And it was the Lord's victory. It was heaven's victory. And so all of the kingdom was rejoicing with us. And I told Corey... I said, you know, if you have another portrait next year at Awakening, Taylor said she'd like to write her own name. And Terry contacted the artist himself to tell him what it meant to us, his portrait. And Corey contacted Taylor, and they had interaction, and she shared her own testimony throughout the year. And one year later, at Awakening 2017, so this last October, they had an unveiling of a new portrait, the prodigal restored. Amen. And Pastor Corey invited Taylor and all the other restored prodigals to come up and sign their own names in purple. And she marched up on that stage and she went right to the spot by his head where one year earlier I had written her name in red. Now, in purple, she wrote her own name. And the testimony has changed our lives. Taylor now, in fact, in less than two weeks, I'm flying home to move her to Columbus, Ohio, to be part of Rob, Dr. Rob McCorkle's church in Obet. She is an intern there and wants to learn everything she can about the ministry because she feels called to be a missionary in Africa. Praise the Lord. Amen. My child is on fire for Jesus because when he restores, he doesn't do it just a little bit. That's he right. does it That's all. Right. Yeah. He yeah. restores yeah. the calling because the gifts and the calling of God are revocable. Right. He doesn't take them back. That's right. Romans eleven twenty nine. He calls, and when he restores, he calls again. Yes. And he's faithful. And I felt this desire in me because when I went to prayer, I had cried out day and night for this kid. Day and night, day and night, on my face, on my knees, standing. Every position I could think, I cried out. And I thought, what am I going to do now, Lord? I don't know what to do. But I still feel like I need to intercede. And he said, you do. There's things I need you to go to intercession for. And so I think it's important just to to put this out there. There's two things he told me. And if I wasn't so pressed in and changed, I would not have been able to hear the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to receive that tonight. We have to be at a place where we can hear him for ourselves. Be able to learn from his word because he speaks through his word and he speaks to us in our prayer time. Just want to throw that out there. But here's the two things he told me. First of all, he said, Melissa, I need you to not stop praying for your children because they were a gift. You asked me for these kids. You asked me for a child. 
I granted you that gift. It's your responsibility to intercede for that life. Because if I don't intercede for my children, who will? That's right. That's right. Whose responsibility is it? Not the churches. It's not the pastors. It's mine. Because they're my gift. The Lord brought me to a verse in Job. It's Job 1, chapter 1, verse 5. And it came about when the days of feasting had completed their cycle that Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually, continually he interceded for his children. It does not say in that scripture that they were not serving the Lord. He says in case they might fall out of faith, in case they might be tempted to leave what they know to be true, I'm going to make intercession for them continually. And so the Lord said, if Job did it for all of his, you do it for yours. And so I set a timer on my phone for each of my kids. And every day I intercede for Taylor and Brett and Baylor because they're my three children. They're my three intercession. They're my three responsibility. What do I pray? Well, now that they know the Lord, I pray different prayers. But I pray. And I always have something because Holy Spirit's good to show us how to pray, right? Boldness, perseverance, fire in their belly, wisdom, discernment, revelation. I pray for my kids to be so hungry and desperate for the kingdom that they make everybody around them crazy yes. chasing after Jesus. Amen. These are what I pray for my kids. Why am I telling you this? I'm not the only one called to stand in the gap and intercede for my kids. That's right, Mom. So are you. If you don't stand in the gap for your children, your grandchildren, your lineage, who will? Whether they're serving God or not. That's right. But I would guess that in this place there are those of you tonight who have children and grandchildren who have walked away from the Lord. And so I want you to know that whether they're serving God or not, the call to intercession is the same. Now, if you are in this place and you don't have children, I want you to know your call to intercession still stands just as strong as everybody else's. That's right. It goes like this. God, here I am. See me. What can I pray for? What can I intercede for? What can I stand in the gap for? What does that mean? It means this. The second thing that the Lord told me, besides to keep interceding for my children every day, was to go in intercession for my father. I'll keep this short, but I want to share this because it's powerful and it's true. My dad and my mom divorced when I was three years old. My father moved to another state. He never really had a big part of my life. He wasn't mean. He wasn't cruel. I didn't feel abandoned. Um, We just didn't have a close relationship because I only really saw him a couple times a year and talked to him maybe a couple times a year while I was growing up. Um, But when I was a young child, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And as a young child, you want everybody to know Jesus. And I knew my mom knew him. But I also knew that my dad didn't know him. And so as a child, I began to pray, Lord, save my daddy. Save my daddy. And as a teenager, I prayed, Lord, save my daddy. Well, the Lord said, now's the time I want you to begin to intercede for your father. And I said, okay. And so I began to intercede for my dad like I had for Taylor. But there were some different conditions the Lord put on this intercession. Because it's very personal. What and who we pray for 
is something we have to identify well with in the spirit. That's right. And so we have to make it personal. And the Lord said to me, <clears throat> unlike Taylor, I want you to begin to testify to your dad every week of my goodness. <laughs> so every time God did something in our services or when he did something with the kids' lives, or he answered prayer, or this, or this, or this, I got to call and testify to my dad. Now, we talk maybe once a month at this point. And so every time we talked, I would tell him about the goodness of God. And all of a sudden, the calls became more frequent because he began to call like every other week. What's God doing? What's God, what, hey, where were you guys this weekend? What happened? He began to ask. He was receiving it. He's a very intelligent man, very charismatic, very articulate. But he was hungry to know what was going on in the kingdom. And so then the calls became every week, and he was calling every week. And now my dad was only 18 years old when I was born, and so he's not that much older than me. And a friendship between us began to grow in a relationship, and it was beautiful. And I was getting to know him, and he was getting to know me, and it was awesome, and he was still hungry. And the calls that, well, at this point, they weren't even every week. They became like every other day. And my dad became to ask questions, specific questions. And he was getting soft, and he was getting close, and he began to tell me things that had happened in his life, like invitations to the altar that he didn't take when he was in a service or two, like when he was a child and at Bible school, they opened the altar and he thought he was saved, but he was afraid to go. So he didn't go. And that plagued him his whole life. And all these things that he was telling me, he was opening up. And then he called me at early one morning before seven o'clock and blew my mind because we never talked that early. And he said, Melissa, I've had a dream and I have to tell you. And I said, tell me. He said, I dreamed that we all went to a service together, and which wasn't unheard of. He began to drive to our services if we were close by. And he said, at the end of the service, you guys just did the music and somebody else spoke, a man spoke. And at the end of the service, the man stood down front in the middle aisle and all the people filed in line to come down front and talk to him face to face in my dream. And I got in line and I was excited because you know him and he knows you and Terry and the kids and I couldn't wait to talk to him. And I was thinking of all the things I was going to say because I told you he's articulate, he's charismatic, he's intelligent. He was excited. He said, but when I got down there and it was my turn, I couldn't speak. And when I said things, they sounded wrong and I sounded kind of like a jerk. And I sort of said things like, well, you know my daughter and, um, you know, my son-in-law and, you know, my kids. So, you know, it's like we almost know each other and I'm so happy to meet you. And the man said to my dad, I do know your daughter and I do know your son-in-law and I know your grandkids. But Dan, I don't know who you are. And he woke up. And he said, Melissa, that man was Jesus. And he didn't know me. And I don't know him. And my dad said this, and I thought this was so wise. He said, it's like when I come to your house and the neighbors across the street, you guys all know your neighbor and your neighbor knows you. When you guys say hi and go inside, I stand there in the driveway. I feel like I know the neighbor because you know the neighbor. But I don't really know the neighbor. And I just wave hi, and the neighbor kind of goes, hi. He said, Melissa, I 
need to walk across the street and meet the neighbor. Yeah. yeah. I said, yeah, Dad, you do. You have to do that. And so um, I said, now, Dad, listen, we don't have to have a church service, and you don't have to come to the dining. He goes, don't do that. I said, no, now we can pray. No, I don't want to do this over the phone. I want to do this the right way. Because remember, he had an altar call that he disobeyed and didn't come forward, and it plagued him for his whole life. He said, Melissa, I want to go to a service, and I want to go to an altar of prayer, and I want to do this right. And I said, okay, well, it just so happens that Dan Bohai is going to be in revival in Sepulpa, Oklahoma. My dad lives in Tulsa. Sepulpa is a suburb of Tulsa. And so dad said, okay, tell me when, send me the dates, send me the address, I'm going. Don't tell Jay, because he knows my cousin Jay, who travels with Dan. He said, don't tell Jay or anybody I'm going to be there. I just want to show up. <laughs> I did not agree to that, because I totally told Jay. <laughs> And so I told him, I said, Dad, now we can't be there. And he said, that's fine. I've got business to take care of. And so I told him, I said, Jay, Dad, Dad's going to be coming. You might save him a seat. Well, Jay sits down front, and um, he saved a seat in the second row. And my dad came in and slipped next to Jay. And Jay said, now, Dan, my dad's name is Dan Clam. He said, now, Dan, we don't have to sit up here. We can move back. And he said, no, I need to be close to the altar. So Dan Bohai preached a great message, and as soon as he gave the altar call, my dad stood up, and he walked to the altar, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he repented, and he stayed there, and he kept praying, and he kept praying, and he said, now Jay was praying with him, and he said, listen, Jay, I don't want this little Christianity. I want what you have. I want what Melissa has. I want what Dan Bohai has. I want it all. I don't want any of me in the way. And so Jay said, well, uh, I don't think there's any reason why we can't pray for entire sanctification to be filled with the Amen. Holy Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit right Lie. now. That's right. And so my dad settled it. He prayed it. He received it. He prayed it all the way through, you guys. He got saved and sanctified all at once, and he stood up a new man. And he was so on fire, he came back the next night, the next night, the next night. And then when services were over, he said, I don't really know what to do. But I found out there's a prayer meeting at my church because he found a church and got plugged in. And he said, so I, I'm going to prayer meeting. And I said, awesome. So he tells me this story after prayer meeting. He says, they fed us sandwiches. And then they said, now we're going to break up in small groups and we're going to pray out loud over each other. And in that moment, he said, uh-oh, I've never prayed out loud before. I don't know how to pray out loud for anybody, even myself. I didn't even pray over the food. And so they set this small group of men in a circle, and they begin to pray out loud for each other. And it gets to be my dad's turn. And he said, Melissa, I remember you said, since I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, sanctified that the Holy Spirit was in me, and he could pray through me. And so I said, Holy Spirit, pray for me. And he said he opened his mouth and this incredible prayer came out. And it was so exciting because he knew it wasn't him. In fact, he prayed and he liked it so much that when they all went around the circle and they were done, he prayed again. That's how on fire he was. He began to intercede for my brother who's 13 years younger than me and is late 20s. And Joel doesn't know the Lord and my dad. He felt like he'd really messed up not raising him in the church. So now he is after intercession to stand in the gap to bring my brother to know. And he said, you know, Melissa, uh, Joel really isn't a prodigal because um, he didn't really know the Lord. 
and walk away from him, he's just lost. And I said, well, here's the thing in the promise that the Holy Spirit revealed to me. So receive this tonight. Whether someone knows the Lord and then they walk away from them or they've never known them, I believe the promise of the prodigal son and the return of the father is for everyone. Amen. Yes. Yeah. And so really we're all yes. prodigals. Yeah. Yes. If we don't know the Lord, we're really all prodigals because we get to stand on that promise. Amen. And we're going to be received with the robe and the shoes and Amen. the ring. And we're going to be restored as a son, not a slave, right. as right. a son. And so I told my dad that, and my dad's fire was contagious. It was beautiful. And for six weeks, he lived that fire like you wouldn't believe. And early December this last year, because it was October 29th, um, 2017, that my dad received his his salvation and sanctification. In early December, my dad called as we were beginning our Christmas um, season in earnest. We were very busy traveling. And the weekend he called, we, we literally had five services, Saturday, Sunday, and, and I, it, was, it was a very busy time. But dad called and he said, Melissa, I'm sick. And I said, what, what do you mean? He said, I've had to bring myself to the ER. Um, my dad never went to the doctor or the hospital ever. And he basically, he had had a mild heart attack was what happened. And he was very reluctant to tell me. And I said, you're gonna be fine. I'll cancel my shows and we'll come down. He said, no, you will not. No, you will not, I'm fine. And he said, I need you to promise me that you're gonna take care of your brother. And I said, dad, I will, but you're gonna be fine. And he said, I need you to promise me that if something happens to me, you're going to intercede for him in my place. And I said, I will, but you're going to be fine. Well, the next day he had an ultrasound. They determined he had some serious blockage and he needed to have a heart cath done. So Monday he had a heart cath done. I'm done with my shows. So now I'm heading down to Tulsa um, on a Tuesday morning to be with my dad. We talked several times before and after each procedure. Um, Tuesday morning, I talked to him about 6.30 to 7, and then as I was literally getting um, my driver's license and my tires and everything ready to make the trip, Oklahoma Heart Institute called and they said, Mrs. Wright, your father was found on the floor unresponsive and we're coding him. And I won't go into all the detail, but I'll tell you this. Um, on December 8, 2017, my dad, had a massive heart attack again and he and he died but i can tell you this that the word says to be absent from the body is to be present with the savior and so only six weeks after meeting him my dad stood face to face with jesus and he's living his eternity because he settled the matter and i would tell you that is hard to bear except for I can only imagine if I could bring him back. I'd never do it. And he would not want me to. That's right. But this is what the Lord said to me. Melissa, I know the number of your days. I know every hair on your head. And I know when your life is going to be required of you. And I knew when it was going to be required of your dad. So when you asked me who you could stand in the gap for, I proudly said your dad because I knew that his time was short. What if I hadn't interceded for my dad? 
right. What if I had interceded for my dad? I don't know that my dad would be in heaven, but I do know that his life would have still been required of him on December 8th. That's right. right. But I can tell you with all certainty where he is in this moment. That is two prodigals restored from one ignorant girl's praying because I didn't know what I was doing. Now I'm interceding for my brother, just like my dad was. I know that's hurtful and sad to hear, but I want to tell you something. You all know somebody. My dad was only 60. You all know somebody yeah. whose life could be required tomorrow. It might not be your child. It might be your parent or your brother or your sister. It might be your friend. It might be your neighbor. It doesn't have to be your lineage. It just It's just in your circle. But here's what I know. If you just say, Lord, what do you want me to intercede for? That's what I did. Lord, what do you want me to intercede for? And he said, your dad. I said, okay. What about you? Well, I've been talking to you tonight. I know the Lord has put somebody on your heart. Yeah. He's put more than one somebody. Somebody that's lost. Somebody that's found. Somebody that needs intercession. I want to tell you something else about intercession. And I know it's late. This is important to there are people that need intercession because the spiritual warfare that is raised against them is so hot and heavy. They need a covering of intercessors. And do you know that there's somebody, there's two somebodies, there's more than that sitting in this place right now. The spiritual battles rage about them and around them because of the kingdom that they carry within them. That's right. And they need intercession. Yeah. And I know because they're sitting right here. That's right. They're sitting right here. And they're back with the kids. And every one of us that are called to ministry and we say yes, the spiritual battle just heats up. And there needs to be intercessors to pray coverage. Right. It's not a glamorous job, but it is imperative. Because if we don't pray out the Father's heart, who will? That's right. That's right. If we don't agree in partnership with Him, who will? That's right. I don't want His promises to go unfulfilled for me, for my kids, for my family. And I don't want them going unfulfilled for my church and my pastor. Yeah. And I know you feel the same way. So this is a call to intercession. And if you think it's not super important, the Lord told me that intercession is the foundation of our families. Yeah. Praying for our families yes. is the foundation. And yeah. if it's the foundation of our families, it's the foundation of our church. Yeah. And if it's the foundation of our church, it's the foundation of the community that we want to win for the kingdom. Yes. Yeah. Intercession is the building block that everything else is built on. That's right. We might not have known that at the beginning, but we know it now. Yes. We're responsible for it now. The call is now. Yes. Each one of you are being called to intercede. Yeah. Will you become an intercessor? Yes. If you say to me, I don't know how to pray, I didn't either. Right. The Lord is faithful. He will yes. teach us. Yes. We will help each other. Because we agree together as a church body. We're a body. We uplift each other. We encourage each other. We correct each other. We love each other. We rejoice together. This is our job. This is koinonia. We pray together. We pray in our prayer closets at home. We come here. We pray yeah. together. We find a reason to have a prayer conference. We have to find a reason to have a prayer meeting. We pray for things that we never knew that we could pray for. We just say, Lord, what would you have me intercede for? And then you say yes, and we get down to business. So I want you to stand with me tonight. And I want us to pray together. And I just want you to simply ask yourself, 
Will you say yes to the Lord's call on your life to become an intercessor?